told Dad that I'm not a fool. I got my lunch packed up, my boots tied tight. I hope I don't get in a fight. Oh, back to school, back to school, back to school. Well, here goes nothing. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've got uh, I've got three kids, two of which are sounds really loud. Um, two of which are going back to school, and can I just say I'm really excited about back to school. <laughs> I mean, I love my kids, but I love them so much more when they're not around so much. Of course I'm kidding, and I know I'm going to regret that I even joked about that, like when they go off to college and I'm crying at home. Um, but there is this uh, excitement about some space, you know, when school time comes. But there's a flip side to going back to school, too. Um, even if you're not going back to school, maybe you're just getting back into the, the swing of the fall um, and getting out of the summer rhythms. You know, it's not all fun and games, as the great theologian Adam Sandler just demonstrated. Going back to school can be hard. Um, For all the benefits of space from the kiddos, going back to school and getting back into the the swing of things involves us again in a number of social commitments that we might have taken a break from in the summer. Whether it's meetings or clubs or groups or sports, so on and so forth. I was reading this book recently called Making Room for Life by a guy named Randy Frazee. And in the book, he suggests mapping out the number of distinct social circles in your life that you're involved in, basically as a way of assessing how chaotic your life is. And you start by drawing the circle um, in the middle and you branch out from there and make circles for your family's social grouping. So I was foolish enough to, uh, to try this exercise. Um, so like you kind of draw a circle in the middle and you know, maybe do one for your nuclear family. And then there's you know, our, our neighborhood. Then there's you know one of my jobs nationwide, and then there's another one of my jobs with storyline, and then there's Julie works at Medical City. Oh yeah, and she works at home care rehab, and uh, she works at Beyond Faith. She works a lot. <laughs> then there's then there's uh, there's DC where Ryan goes to school, and there's there's Sunshine School where. Where Chloe goes to school, and there's there's ballet, and there's soccer, and man, there's there's oh yeah, there's gymnastics, and this really just kind of scratches the surface for us about the number of social circles that we are involved in. Frazee points out that for most families, the overlap between one circle and another is often very small. So, for instance, nobody at Dallas Christian knows anybody at Storyline and vice versa. 
Um, which means there's a good bit of distance, both physically and socially, between the circles. Which means you could end up spending a large percentage of your time in the car. Just getting between all of those things that you're a part of. It kind of looks like a Ferris wheel when you look at it. A Ferris wheel of insanity. I thought we were stretched thin, but man, this even made me, made me feel even worse. Um, I was watching this show by Ant, uh, American chef Anthony Bourdain. You might know who that is, Bourdain, called Parts Unknown. Amazing show. He travels to these obscure parts of the world and he tours and he eats all of their very cool food. And the episode I watched was about Myanmar, uh, formerly Burma, which I don't even know where in the world that was uh, before the show. At one point in the show, he was eating some food at the street carnival where they had manually operated Ferris wheels. So what, what is that? Um, to get it going, a bunch of kids would jump on the Ferris wheel. And then they would jump from spoke to spoke, from passenger car to passenger car, to get the thing started. So it would spin around, and then it started spinning fast enough, and then they would jump off um, until it spun and then kind of stopped. And... Uh, that's what life can feel like sometimes. I don't know if you identify with my Ferris wheel of insanity in your own life, uh, but sometimes we find ourselves jumping from social circle to social circle to get what we need, and it starts spinning so fast that we either want to jump off or we fall off, whether we like it or not. It dawned on me that when I'm jumping around my Ferris wheel of insanity, it's pretty easy to default into relating to these social circles in terms of what we get out of them. We get money from our jobs. We get relationships from our church. We get babysitting from our parents. We get other things from our parents. We get money from our parents. Uh, We get education for our our kids at D.C. and Sunshine School. We get scholarship training from soccer and gym and ballet. We get a safe place to sleep at night in our neighborhood. We get all these things. It's it's consumerism par excellence. It really is just utterly exhausting and pretty self-absorbed if I think about it. There's got to be a different way. There's got to be a better way to swing back into fall. To, to swing back into the, the school season. Let's read John uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all humanity. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, his name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through Him all might believe. He Himself was not the light, He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is one of my favorite texts in all of the Bible because it describes the heart of God. The heart of God is not for us to find a way to get to God. The heart of God is to find a way to get to us. The code word in this text, the word, is a code word for Jesus, which Misha so wonderfully expounded upon in his scripture reading. Uh, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, full of grace and truth. This is exactly what God does. God doesn't ask us to work our way to heaven and move in next to him. Instead, he finds his way to earth and moves in next to us. In fact, Jesus gets up in our business so much that he allows himself to be a victim of our brokenness. He suffers and dies at the hands of humanity. And this makes it crystal clear that Jesus doesn't come to earth for what he can get out of it, but rather for what he can give to us. Grace and truth, the right to become children of God. Perhaps you've seen Dr. Kent Brantley in the news lately. Um, If you haven't, you are a hermit. And so for all of you hermits out there, I will rehearse some of the details. Dr. Brantley moved to Liberia with his family to work with Samaritan's Purse and to serve those who had been stricken with the deadly Ebola virus. Ninety percent of folks who get Ebola die. And while serving his patients, Brantley contracted the disease and was put in quarantine in Liberia, along with another aid worker, a doctor named Nancy. They had this experimental serum that could help them that had to be flown into the country from from out of the country and and come to find out there was only enough for one dose, one person. And Brantley said, give it to Nancy. Let Nancy have it. By the grace of God, Dr. Brantley walked out of an Atlanta hospital last week, healed, immune from Ebola. Brantley followed the footsteps of Jesus. He is truly a Christian. Christian means little Christ. Little Jesus, Brantley and his family, they made their dwelling among these Ebola patients in West Africa. They poured their lives out for them figuratively and literally. Brantley, because of his commitment to God, made space in his life for others. And he joins a long line of Christian medical workers who contracted diseases because they put their lives on the line to serve other people. It was the Christian movement, in fact, that started what we know today as the modern hospital movement. In a world where so many engage in relationships for what they can get out of it, Brantley entered into the world for what he could give. What a, what a beautiful image of God in the flesh. It's striking to me that God is the God of the whole world and he wants to rescue the whole world from brokenness and evil. And yet the way that he does that is to begin with one single body 
in one single place to one single group of people. The all powerful, everywhere present God locates himself within a particular time and place. God limits himself in Jesus. And what's more, Jesus spends perhaps as much as three fourths of the time with a group of about 12 folks and their families. He pours almost everything he had into this relatively small band of disciples. His life does not seem to resemble my Ferris wheel of insanity. Um, Instead, he's got this like circle of life thing going on. Where, you know, certainly he, he travels to different places, but it's interesting that he goes to different places with the same group of people. Uh, he moves in a pack. Uh, he lives in a family. So he goes everywhere, almost everywhere he went. He, he moves in this circle of life. I had lunch. Um, I'll get to that. If the God of the universe who's out to rescue the whole world, goes about doing that by hunkering down in a very particular time and place and people, why would we think it would be any different for us? If Jesus shows us the best way to live and we want to follow the example of Jesus by serving others, why would we then spread ourselves so thin in relationships that we really couldn't be faithfully present To other people so that we could truly love them. I had lunch this week with Andy and Melissa Johnson, a couple who were missionaries to the Dagara people in Burkina Faso, Africa, for 12 years. And in the last 12 years, they've seen uh, 115 churches, groups of people uh, come together and start during that time. And there were only Only 14 of them were they directly involved in helping to start, which means this movement kind of caught on among the Dagara people. And they started 101 of those 115 churches all by themselves. And I asked them if they were experiencing culture shock yet. And their eyes got big and they started to smile. So, yes, Uh, one thing they mentioned was that they're used to spending a lot of time with people. And then kind of just getting done what they can get done around that in terms of their mission and their work in Africa. And, you know, when people would come over to their house to have tea, you know, it could be a three or four hour affair. You come over to hang out and you don't go anywhere for a long time. And that was that was the way they did life. So you can imagine their surprise when they discovered that most people in the states that they tried to connect with were available two or three or four weeks later for 30 minutes or an hour, if that. Uh, Andy observed that it's like our American friends wear you know, busyness as this badge of honor. Later in the conversation, I learned that Andy has spent the last five years in Burkina Pouring almost all of his energies into the same five people. Five people that they basically turned over this fledgling movement to in West Africa. You might have noticed that I've told a lot of Africa stories today. Dr. Brantley, the Johnson. I'm glad you noticed that. I was hoping you put it together that you have to move to Africa to truly follow Jesus. 
we'll see who's really faithful. When next month we come back, we'll see who's still here, right? I'm kidding, of course, but I mentioned these kinds of stories, these out of the states kinds of stories, because sometimes we need to be jarred out of the cultural waters that we swim in to see things a little differently. Something that can capture our imagination about how we might follow Jesus ourselves and and take his incarnation, his in the flesh kind of posture in the world and adopt that into our own lives. What if we shifted our primary orientation to the social spaces we're involved in uh, from from what we get out of them to what we can give them? What if our what if our primary energy was put in to what can I bring to this social circle rather than what can I take away? It's not to say that it's not okay to get something out of it. It's just that uh, what, what would it look like if our our primary orientation was was self-giving rather than self-asserting? What if we intentionally pruned back, streamlined or even overlapped and laid on top of each other some of these social circles so that we can be present with a smaller number of people in our lives and and be faithfully present with them and love them deeply. That's part of the reason I really love what's happening with all these crazy folks that are moving into Junius Heights and that East Dallas area. It, it's a great first step in in taking Jesus seriously and, and locating in a particular place together and, and streamlining this fair swill of insanity a little bit. The God of the universe took up residence in our world to bring us grace and truth and to invite us to be his children. Jesus poured out his life in self-giving love for us. If we received that gift from God for ourselves, if we receive the gift of grace and truth and of of the children of God, if we receive that status, how could we not then turn around and do the same thing for others, invite others into the same kind of way of life and relationship with God? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you are not a God who stays far away. You are not a God who is who is absent and disconnected. We thank you for for entering into our space, for for uh, putting up your residence uh, right down the street. From us for coming into our world instead of expecting us to get to yours. Now, thank you for the gift that you offer us and what Jesus makes available that that we might be your adopted children. We might be uh, born of you and connected to you again deeply and intimately. God, we we accept that gift. Again, in a new way and live in that status and identity that we have with you. 
And God, we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and that you would lead us out into the world, into our neighborhoods. Give us wisdom to navigate these Ferris wheels of insanity we sometimes find ourselves riding. You know, give us wisdom to prune and streamline and, and, and layer as, uh, as you will for us. And, and give us hearts to love people and to approach people with that divine spark, as Shalise talked about. And to approach people out of a posture of love and giving rather than a posture of, of getting and self-assertiveness. God, and I can't help but to imagine that, that uh, our world would grow and heal um, when more and more of us start to take this kind of posture on. So we pray for, for cities like Ferguson, Missouri, and northern Iraq, and Ukraine and Russia. We pray that your missionary spirit would send folks in the midst of those social circles to be faithfully present, to love, to seek peace, and to bring healing. In Jesus' name, amen.